Welcome to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Smith. First of all, I want to thank our sponsor, Dr. Dish. If you don't have a Dr. Dish, reach out to them, mention the podcast, and you'll get a great discount. Now, let's get to the podcast. I want to welcome an old friend, someone I've known for quite a few decades, and actually my first basketball coach, uh, who's a current college athletic director at Albany State University here in Georgia, uh, Tony Duckworth of the podcast. How you doing, coach? I'm doing real good, Matt. Uh, and of course, I can call you coach now, but uh, it's good to be a part of uh, the podcast tonight. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It, I've, I've enjoyed bringing on old friends and friends from college and now you on the podcast just to kind of reminisce, but you also have a lot to offer as a very successful uh, college head coach. And also now you've worked your way up into athletic leadership. And that's what we're going to be talking about is uh, coaches who want to climb the ladder in athletic leadership and possibly have the goal of even being an athletic director in college or high school. So let's just talk about your background a little bit and kind of what got you into coaching uh, high school basketball to start off with. And then it kind of led you into the college route. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. When I, when I did my undergraduate uh, work at Bob Jones University in financial management, I was a coaching minor. So I kind of always had, a number one, I wanted to have a fun minor, knowing I had a very rigorous uh, academic major. But I always kind of had that bug thinking that uh, on some level I might want to be involved with, you know, even just being a, a, a lay coach as an assistant or something like that. And and ultimately, when I when I graduated um, uh, from the university there, I went into the corporate world at Hospital Corporation of America as an accountant here back in my hometown of Macon, Georgia. And uh, and ultimately, it was it was probably four months in. I realized, man, I just I don't know if I can see myself doing this the rest of my life. And lo and behold, there was an opening for a um, a social studies teacher uh, and and some coaching opportunities at my alma mater there, Central Fellowship, or I should say our alma mater, Central Fellowship there in Macon, Georgia. And and so uh, that that's when I ended up um, getting hired on there. And that was my first exposure at, uh, at, at, at coaching, you know, at the high school and the, the junior high middle school level, if you will. And it was a great experience. And uh, it was something that I, you know, I still keep up with a lot of a lot of your your old classmates and and teammates and things of that nature. It's been good to see how you guys have grown and evolved over the years, uh, both as men and um, some of you as fathers, and obviously uh, a variety of professions. But you know, obviously, it's near and dear to me those that uh, chose the profession that I chose and uh, are in education and and are and are out there coaching. It's uh, it's very meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was back in what, 92, 93, 91, 92, someone along those lines. And, you know, uh, for people who've never heard of Macon, Georgia or that school, obviously very tight knit community, very small school. Most people who went to the school started out in first or second grade and stayed there till they were uh, seniors. Um, so it was it was a very great experience. And, you know, playing on that that middle school. Well, I guess you would have called it JV back then. It was just JV. Um middle school and all that was different, but yeah, a lot of us have gone to coaching and teaching and you know, you planted the seed and a lot of us who love the game and your passion. And I've still got my eighth grade notebook, believe it or not, with all the notes that we would do and uh, all my playing time after each game, which there's a lot of single digit minutes in there um, or seconds even, but it, it, it's a lot of fun. So after you went back uh, teaching, 
what led you to the college route? Because I think from there you went on to Covenant. Is that correct? Yeah, that's kind of an interesting story. But but real real quick side note, you talk about that notebook. That goes back to my old Don Meyer disciple days when I was young and coaching and picked that up. And and what was really neat, I was one of the individuals that you talked about. I I, I it was it's a church related school, and so I started there in kindergarten, um, and went through twelfth uh, grade. And, and, and in fact, um, you know, I had uh, six or seven of my classmates. We were together for thirteen years. You know, when you think about that, that's pretty amazing. And my dad literally, uh, you know, I went back to the state championship uh, high school football game they hosted this year and won their first high school uh, state championship. And I told a few people I was there, you know, the amazing thing is my dad, the school was founded in 1970, and he literally helped build some of the buildings with cinder block, you know, and so pretty neat deal. But yeah, I was there for a couple of years. And and during my uh, during my time uh, when I was coaching there, I, I had a couple of unique experiences. Number one, I I, I did some uh, several summers of uh, summer camp coaching for a few weeks uh, at the Don Meyer Coaching Academy there uh, in Lipscomb, or the, the the coaching basketball camps that he had. And of course, I attended several of his uh, coaching academies as well. But through that, I was able to meet some different people and. Steve Boyette was one of the guys that I met that was at that time a volunteer assistant at Carson Newman um, Division II school in Tennessee. And and ultimately, you know, just asking him, you know, how do you how do you break into the college ranks? You know, that's kind of was a dream of mine and things of that nature. And, of course, had no clue, did not play college athletics. And, uh, you know, and ultimately knowing that, um, you know, there's kind of that there's kind of that avenue, variety of avenues. If you're a former player, sometimes you might through that connection with the college coach that you played for, he may help you get on as a graduate assistant somewhere, or, or maybe you even, you know, stay on and be a GA um, at the institution where you graduated from. And I, I didn't have either of those alternatives and I, and, and having not played and not having those connections. And, and ultimately, um, you know, uh, Steve told me, you know, maybe you want to consider volunteering. And so I kind of contemplated that and ultimately you know, long story short, made a connection with um, with Rick Burby, who was at Tennessee Temple University um, in Chattanooga at the time, which I know I'm sure you, you run into a lot of circles of TTU alums. And uh, and I actually people people forget um, I let when I left the high school level, I went to be a volunteer at Tennessee Temple University um, there in Chattanooga. Uh, which there was a great history of small college basketball with the, you know, the, the Ron Bishops and the, 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 the lefty Glasscock era and things of that nature. And the day that I arrived in Chattanooga, you know, footloose, fancy free, single, debt free, going to live in a college dorm and try to break into college coaching. Rick Burby brings me into his office and he says, I just resigned. And, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, and, and, and of course I was like, wow, that's going to be interesting. And, and then, so he stayed on, you know, probably for several, several weeks, maybe a month or so, but he had, he had um, coached together with Ken Brooks at Liberty University under Jeff Meyer, who went on after Liberty and, you know, was with some of those beeline Michigan teams and uh, went on to Butler and things of that nature. But he introduced me at a luncheon um, uh, to Ken Brooks. Uh, in those several weeks that he had left on the job there in Chattanooga, and 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 ultimately we struck a quick relationship, and lo and behold, I don't know if I was even at TTU for a month, and um, I transitioned to a more stable situation 
with a coach with Ken Brooks who had just been hired there. I felt like I needed a few years of, you know, uh, grooming at the college level. And, and I, and, you know, and, and with, with Coach Burby leaving, I, you know, who knows with the new coach, if I would have an opportunity to stay on. And so I made that transition. So um, ultimately I left for Covenant College, but there was a short stint where I was, um, I was there in the Valley uh, a little bit before I headed up to the mountain. And I was there for, um, from 1992 to 96 and had a tremendous learning experience under a, a great man and a, and a really outstanding basketball coach in Ken Brooks. So what's a day like or a season like for a volunteer coach? Because you have to make a little bit of money somewhere. You have got to do something. And uh, what type of responsibilities do they give the volunteer as opposed to the guys who are, you know, uh, paid, paid staff? And, you know, that reminds me of stories that, you know, I'm good friends with Rob Jones at Richmond and Kevin Carroll. And you talk to these coaches who those first few years, you're grinding it out. Even if you're getting paid, it's, it's, it's not a lot of money. Um, so what's, what was it like? being the volunteer, um, you know, that first year or two? Well, it's pretty amazing. Uh, Ken Brooks had no assistant. He had nothing. And so I was essentially, I was the guy. And so it really was, you know, threw me into the fire. And, and, and I learned so many valuable lessons, you know, um, uh, in, in that role as the recruiting coordinator. And, you know, I did, did a little bit of, you know, van driver, did a little bit of everything, laundry, pack, pack for road trips, all the above. And, um, you know, what was interesting is, you know, I was single and debt free. And so uh, I was able to, to have some flexibility there. But, you know, there a couple of, here's a couple of the jobs I had during one of the summers. I was the downtown YMCA parking lot attendant. Um, I would, I would just walk around the parking lot during the, 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 the morning and midday um, hours, basically uh, policing people that would come in and try to get free parking and then go do business. And I'd hustle them down and ask, you know, tell them they had to leave if they weren't, you know, a member of the YMCA. And I'd do a lot of reading as I was walking and things like that. I mean, it was kind of pre-cell phone timeline. Um, Ron Bishop, uh, one year when he started, um, he, he, he revived um, the basketball camps. And it was a score international basketball camps. And, and he hired me as a freelance recruiter to recruit a lot of the old people that came came in. And he was like, "All right, I'll pay a hundred bucks a week, and then we'll um, we'll settle up with maybe a bonus, depending on how things shake out in the summer." Um, and then I had and then I had two two very affluent men that were retired, as you know, Lookout Mountain um, ha- has a lot of uh, very very uh, uh, wealthy individuals and. And I, one, one of the guys, uh, I would actually um, do yard work for him throughout the week. And then another guy would do yard work on Saturdays. Um, uh, Pat, who used to be the mayor of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, and then Buddy Champion, who used to own, both of them were textile guys over in Dalton. And so I did, uh, I did just, you know, $10 an hour cash jobs uh, for those guys and just, and just made it work, you know, and, um, and it was, uh, but it was just a phenomenal experience, you know, to, to, to be able to do everything that a full-time assistant did, because here's what I tell young folks that are in the business that want to break in and don't know how, you know, I said, you know, when I, when I interviewed, you know, at, uh, for the head job at, uh, Virginia Wise, when I interviewed for the head job at, uh, uh, Chattanooga there, the junior college, when I interviewed for a couple of other jobs, when they saw my resume, they never asked me, hey, were you a volunteer or how much you made? They just wanted to know the, 
the, the, the quality of your work experience. And, 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 and so all of those, the, those four years really leveraged me very well to at least get in the hunt for some jobs. I even interviewed for the assistance job for Bill Hodges, Larry Bird's college coaches, Indiana State at my hometown university, Mercer University, uh, Mark Steinman's that was at Elon. I didn't get either one of those jobs, but during my volunteer time, um, my resume was built and we had a, under Coach Brooks's leadership, a really nice run um, for Covenant College. And uh, it allowed me to, to get some, uh, some, even some interview experience that ended up paying dividends beyond, uh, beyond my time there at Covenant College. Yeah, that's good. Boy, I hadn't thought about Bill Hodges in a long time. I went to his shooting camp there at Mercer. And um, yeah, so yeah, open the door to get your foot in there. See what interviews are like at Division One schools and kind of uh, build your resume. So from Covenant, is that when you went to Bellhaven or was there another stop in between? Well, when I, when, I, when I kept striking out, I really wanted to be a college head coach because Ken Brooks, he gave me an advice. He says, you know, if you're going to be a small college coach, you're probably going to have to teach in the classroom. So during my time from 92 to 96, um, I started my master's degree at Tennessee Chattanooga. So I'd go off the mountain and, um, and I was able to knock that out and finish that up in 1994. And, um, and then, so my, as, I, as I wasn't getting an opportunity to land a head college job, I was extremely young at that time understand it better now why I didn't get hired versus when I was there. So I thought, you know, I had an opportunity to, um, I talked to a couple of high schools and ultimately got hired at Brentwood School in Sandersville, Georgia, right outside of Milledgeville. And my, my goal on that was, I thought, you know, hey, I have four years of um, solid college assistance experience. Now, if I can go to the high school level and have some success as a head coach, pull those two levels of experience together and maybe I can get to a, you know, a D3 or an NAI job. And lo and behold, in less than a year, um, I got an opportunity to interview at Bellhaven College, now University in Jackson, Mississippi. And it was interesting. It was right after I had, uh, I'd got married in late March. Um, and it was sometime within weeks after that, that um, Dick Allen, who was a vice president when I was at Covenant College, had a good friend um, who was the AD, Hannibal Najjar, and men's soccer coach at Bellhaven that told me they had an opening. And so ultimately, I ended up applying. I got the job. And you talk about green. I mean, I, at that time, I was the youngest four-year college basketball coach in the country at 28 years old. Wow. There Bellhaven in a very, very good NAI league. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I forgot your Brentwood stop, but, and, and the listeners have to listen to us reminisce for a minute and you have to put up with this, but Travis Andrews, one of your players, I was with him we, this past weekend with our annual March Madness uh, get together. So yeah, I remember you're at Bellhaven. I used to take my young Americans team to your team camp uh, most years that, that we could, that, that fun time and good well, memories. That, well, that was at Huntington. That was at Huntington. Oh, yeah, sorry, Huntington. Yeah, 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 Huntington, not Bellhaven. Yeah, Huntington. Um, and Bellhaven, you had some real success there. Yeah, it was. In, in a tough league. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Um, you know, one of the first people I called when I got the job that, that, that took the job, it was his first head coaching job as well, and he was – we were very similar in age. And so I called him just to kind of get some advice. And lo and behold, it was Lenny Acuff, oh, um, you yeah. know, who had, 
had left Alabama Huntsville as an assistant under Tony Engel yep. and took the Bellhaven College job. And so I called I called Lenny when he was at uh, Barry College, and um, he gave me some really good advice, told me a few key boosters that I needed to connect with, and, and they led me to John Brady, who played at Bellhaven and, of course, later led LSU to the Final Four. And so it was really, really good. But, yeah, I was we were there for four years and um, had some tremendous success there. My you know, my final season um, there, we had the opportunity to go to the NAI National Tournament. One of the, you know, two or three times that they had, uh, maybe the third time ever in Bellhaven history, but uh, we're, we're really, really fortunate. Had some uh, outstanding young men, some uh, really good players, and uh, were able to, to, you know, to have some some exceptionally fond memories of uh, my time there in Mississippi. And I learned, learned a lot of lessons um, as a head college basketball coach in that four-year stretch. So what I'm thinking here is when you you had a lot of interviews from Covenant, uh, went to Brentwood and on to Haven, then Huntington or, or to where you are now, what are some just words of advice you might give to the young coaches who are listening to how to kind of prep themselves for the interview, interview process? Because as an AD now, you interview coaches all the time, so you're one of the rare – men who can, has seen it from both sides, the AD and the aspiring coach. If you are a coach who runs camps and clinics, I'd like to introduce you to Inner Pro Sports. Coaches everywhere are using Inner Pro to provide their campers with individualized strength and conditioning, mental performance training, and personal nutrition metrics all to their phone. It's easy to implement and will make your camp more profitable. To learn more, Email them at train at interpro.com. That's train at interpro, I-N-N-E-R pro.com. Well, you know, I, th- I think, I think a couple basic things is, you know, you just go to your, go to your cover letter. You know, you need to, you need to, you know, you need to cater that, uh, personalize it to the institution or the school or the high school that you're, or junior college that you're applying to. You don't need it just to, be a generic letter. It needs to be specific to the institution. You may, you may not know who the individual you're sending it to. It could be a, to whom you, you know, to whom it may concern or the search committee. And then somewhere in that letter, um, I, what I've always tried to do is at the beginning and the end mention that institution or school or their mascot. Um, and then, you know, in kind of that middle paragraph or two is probably going to be just general that you would that you would give to anybody and and hopefully that cover letter on some level can at least make a connection with somebody that's reviewing those materials um you know you don't want it to be really lengthy you want it to be you know three four paragraphs at most and um you know you don't 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 make the mistake i mean we've all been there as young professionals where we're we're applying to multiple places and uh you know you send that you 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 send the, your cover letter to an institution and it's got the wrong school or university right. on it. You know, that, that, that you just want to make sure you can avoid that. And then just basic grammatical, um, basic things with spelling, just have it look tight. I'm a, I'm a left, right margin guy. I think it just looks concise and <laughs> good. Per, personally sign it. Um, I think that that's a good thing. And then, and then your resume, you know, I, I think, um, you know, the, 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 the thing is you've got to sell yourself. And if you're if you're a young professional, you know, that that thing doesn't need to be, you know, it could be a page, but certainly no more than two pages. 
And then the older you get, you have to really start, you really have to start trimming it down because you don't want your resume to like a thesis. You want it to really hit the high points. And, you know, like at the university level, when, you know, when I've applied for these AD jobs, which are vice president level executive type positions, you know, I, I could, I could have two pages of committees that I've served on. So I just like, I'll list the committees to give the depth of maybe some of my experiences, but then I'll put at the very bottom, uh, other committees served upon request, you know, something like that. So a uh, little, you know, little thing and, and just hit your, hit your high points and know, and know the audience of what you're trying, of what they're hiring you for, you know, um, you know, so if, Obviously, if you're if you're a lot of basketball coaches, probably a majority of basketball coaches listening to this, obviously they're 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 wanting to hire a coach that's going to help them be successful. So have the have the things in your resume on that page or two or three that really can help sell you. Whether it's success, if you know college level successes you've had in recruiting, um, you know what you know in terms of having the all conference players you've had the you know, the success and records you've had, how deep you've gone in the conference tournament, regular season conference finishes, um, to statistics, you know, what are team statistics, things of that nature to really, you know, separate yourself from the, um, from the competitors because these jobs are hard to get. It's, you know, it's kind of like I told my, you know, my, my, my wife early on really wanted us to move. Um, I'm a Georgia guy. She's a St. Louis gal and she really wanted us to move to the Midwest. And I, a few times I'd get frustrated. I'm like, these jobs are not like applying to, at a fast food restaurant. There are very few that open every year and they're highly competitive. And then the other thing is you don't know the dynamics in the room. You know, are there prior relationships with applicants? Are there relatives in the, you know, in the room? You know, there's, are there, you know, does this person know that person? And I, I think at the end of the day, just don't get discouraged because um, you, know, you just have to be persistent and be and, and then ultimately be who you are. I think the more you interview, the more comfortable you get, because there's only so many ways an interview can, interviewer or a screening committee can ask a question. And so the more you do it, you, 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 you really get comfortable with it. And, it, you know, um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like. When 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 I came here, there was the president, two two um, vice presidents, and then just a, a, a one of the greatest football players of all time, who's an employee there, was in the room. And he recently told me he's like, man, when you got off that 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 Zoom with us, I looked at them and said, man, did he have the answers to the? Did he have the questions? <laughs> and, and I and obviously I didn't have the questions, but I think that goes back yeah. to you just. You get comfortable, um, and, and you, it's just it just comes with experience. Yeah, that's good. So, um, from Bellhaven, you went to Huntington. So, when did you make the decision that you want to you 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 chased your dream of being a head coach? You succeeded. You were successful. That you wanted to make the move into athletic leadership and leave head coaching behind. Yeah, when I when 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 decided to make that transition from Bellhaven to Huntington College, um, you know, there in Montgomery, it 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 really it was a good move for our family. We had two um, we had two young kids, and um, it was a situation where uh, it, it allowed us to get a lot closer to family. 
And I was there from um, I was there from 2001 to 2007, six years as the head men's basketball coach. And it was at the conclusion of my third season. And for whatever reason, at Bellhaven and at Huntingdon, third year was the charm. We had a really tough go our first two years, but the third year is when we really we really turned the corner, had winning seasons, um, and uh, we're really proud of that. But after my third year, the AD there, Dr. Dwayne Trogdon, came to me um, after he had pitched to the administration that he needed some administrative help as we had transitioned from NAI to NCAA Division III, and he wanted to have an associate AD, and he wanted to offer the job to me. And, and so what I, what I did is helped him administratively, primarily with NCA compliance, which isn't as rigorous at the D3 level, primarily because of the scholarship component as it is at the D1 and D2 level. But there were other things that I did as well. But so from years four to six, um, as the headman basketball coach, I was also the associate AD. And it was during that three-year period that I really started sensing a shift in my career direction um, and, and thought that um, I really felt like ultimately I would probably end up uh, in administration. And the, the first job I actually applied for was back in my wife's hometown of St. Louis um, at a, a small division three conference, their commissioner's position. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and when, when I, I, when I started talking to them, they kind of talked about the salary and things of that nature and just weren't in a position to, they weren't going to be able to meet, um, you know, what, you know, what I needed from a salary standpoint. So I pulled out of that and then, and then ultimately just blindly applied to Maryville University, St. Louis, um, didn't know anyone, um, just applied in their AD search. And then ultimately um, uh, things worked out and I ended up getting that, uh, getting that AD job there um, in St. Louis. So as the AD, what are some, what are some responsibilities that the AD has that people just don't realize? I mean, what is it as busy as we all think it is? I mean, did you have a, a, a staff under you to really help you out or were you kind of uh, the main guy there? Yeah, that here's one of the first things I learned um, very quickly. You know, um, at that point, you think about it, I'd been an assistant for four years at Covenant. I then um, had 10 years of head college coaching experience at two different institutions. And then I become the AD. And during obviously that 14 years as a college basketball coach um, and then as an assistant, you, you know, you, 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 you kind of make some opinions about the people that are in leadership above you sometimes, some good, some bad. And it was probably the first month on the job there in St. Louis. I, I was sitting there before my family transitioned. So I was blowing and going, you know, 16, 18 hour days in the office and on campus. And I kind of sat back in my chair one night and I was like, you know, that the, there was a couple of ADs that came to mind that I, that I didn't necessarily think were the, um, maybe the best at their craft. And I look back and I quickly um, reverse course on that. And my respect level for them really elevated because now I'm in the chair. It's kind of like, you know, when you, when you make that move from being an assistant, you know, 24 inches to the right to become the head coach, you really, really see, man, this is a lot different. It's a lot different responsibilities and a lot different uh, uh, things that you have to do. So that, that was the first thing. And then the other thing that really resonated with me was 
when I was a college basketball coach, I was Caesar of my program. You know, I mean, obviously I reported to the AD and ultimately to the president and the board of the, the colleges that I, that I was employed at. But, but for all practical purposes, you know, if I stayed in budget, kept my players out of trouble and, you know, had success in the classroom, in the community and on the court, you know, everything was going to be fine. Um, in fact, I tell people, had I not moved into being an AD, I'd probably still be, you know, if, if we continue to have success, the basketball coach at Huntington College, because we loved our experience there. But, you know, the, the, the thing that I learned very quickly was you're no longer Caesar of the program when you become an AD. Um, you know, when you get into coaching searches, for example, you know, some of your younger coaches may not, the listeners may not re- remember this, but you feel like Stretch Armstrong, man. You've got, you've got administrators pulling at you. Your president may have some priorities they want to meet. You have boosters pulling at you, alumni. And I mean, you have to really juggle and try to balance all of those factors and personalities and people in play and in some cases very powerful people to ultimately make a decision that is going to be best for your department, your institution. And uh, and in some instances, you have to sell that decision to people that may be wanting to do things a little bit differently. So it's it, it, it can those coaching searches can be very convoluted. They can be very challenging. Um, but that's the first thing I really re- two things I really learned. Re- respect ADs that are in the chair, whether you think they're doing a great job or not. It's a hard, hard job. And then secondly, is that you're not full. It's, it's more about instead of being Caesar, it's more about collaboration. You've got to work with a lot of different people in order to have success as, as you're running that program. Not to mention those type type A personalities that you're managing as head coaches that are underneath you. Right. That's true. So when you had an, an opening, for example, at, at Maryville, um, was it a search committee that was in the process or did all resumes go to you? What, what is that like? Yeah, pretty, pretty. We're actually running a, um, a women's uh, soccer coach here at Albany state right now. And i um, pretty much ever, ever since um, I've been an AD that, that, the new norm is the institutional human resources office. They'll have an online institutional employment site that all jobs are posted. And so all the coaching jobs or administrative jobs that, that, that maybe fall under my domain, um, all those jobs are posted there and the applicants have to apply. Um, you know, and then, and then you and whoever you designate as a part of that committee, well, I, I don't call them search committees. I don't call them screening committees. I call them advisory groups. You know, maybe it's semantics, but at the end of the day, I feel like um, that naming it advisory groups puts a little more context into what I need out of the search. I truly value everybody's opinion that's a part of that, um, that, that committee, that advisory group, because There's, you know, whether I have an academic dean that might be serving on it, whether it's my senior woman administrator, another coach, another administrator, I I want to hear all those perspectives because you don't, you want to make sure that you don't miss anything. I mean, I've had instances before, even outside of the advisory group where I was, I remember specifically at Maryville, 
I was ready to hire a specific individual for um, a several day process. I got in there and it was my administrative assistant and another staff member. And we were just kind of talking shop and boy, they quickly, and they were both females. They quickly stated, and I didn't tell them who I was kind of leaning toward. They kind of stated they did not think that candidate X was the right person for their job or the right fit. And ultimately, that caused me to go back and reflect on the things they said, go back and through the interview process, and ultimately did not hire that individual. So um, it's it's not a one man show in those hiring processes. But but yeah, you'll have that. You know, in my case, you'll have that advisor group. You know, and then as we're screening through those applicants, as long as they meet the minimum requirements, which generally in coaching is whatever level degree, you know, bachelor's is usually the minimum, and then you decide is it three, five years of relevant coaching experience? And then at that point you start, um, you know, you start, you basically start ranking the, rank, ranking the, uh, the applicants. And, um, and generally, you know, there's, there's reasonable consensus with the, with the, the, the top candidates. Um, uh, but then you, that's when you kind of get into just kind of getting different perspectives and ideas and thought processes and, uh, and, and kind of how you do it. And I can walk you through the whole search process if you want, but that's kind of, that kind of hopefully answers the question you had originally. How quickly do you like the process to take place? Does this take place over right, right now you have a women's soccer position available. Um, is this a six week process, an eight week process? Sure. Well, at the end of the day, I, I think, I think from the time you post the job, not from the time you submit the job to be posted for approval, but by the time the, the job goes live and it is open for people to apply, if you can handle that search at our level in a month, it's posted, people apply, they go through the process, there's interviews, and you ultimately get someone hired in a month. They may or may not be on campus to start the job that month, but if you, you have a new coach name, I think you've had a successful search. So, um, I think if you do anything, unless it's an internal hire, um, you know, uh, I, I think it's very difficult to do anything probably sooner than three weeks. Um, but yeah, kind of, I think, I think that four week window is really, really good. So at the end of the day, you know, it, w w my goal would be in this women's soccer coach that on or around April 15th, we have someone named and, and who knows, maybe, maybe things break and it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a little bit earlier than that, but I think as long as we've done it by that mid-April timeline, I'll feel that we've had a successful search in a timely manner that's allowing us to move the program forward. So when you have a, pos a position like a head men's or head women's basketball job, how many applicants are you getting? Are you getting in the hundreds? Because I know at a high school job, uh, principals talk about, hey, I had 80 applicants for this uh, high school basketball job. Um Half of them don't have teaching certificates. You can weed them out easily. But at, at the college level, what are we looking at roughly? Not only am I honored to host this podcast, I'm also a high school basketball coach myself. And my team just purchased the Dr. Dish CT. Dr. Dish knows that coaches work very hard to save every penny they can. So I sent back our old other brand shooting machine and got a discount. We also took advantage of their one-year payment plan paid half now and half later. 
and my kids love this shooting machine. Calling and texting me constantly to get in the gym. And players love immediate feedback. They're able to know their shooting percentage from every single spot they shoot from. And also, using the Dr. Dish app, they can track their shots throughout the entire season or the course of their career. This is a game changer. It's almost like I hired another assistant coach, called Dr. Dish, mention this podcast, and take advantage of our exclusive discount. Now back to the podcast. Well, I'll tell you this. From a, in, 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 I've, I've run several uh, men's uh, head basketball jobs. Um, the most applicants I ever received was when I was at Maryville when um, we had made that transition from NCAA Division Three to Division Two, and we were in the Great Lakes Valley Conference. We were in St. Louis, um, and we, we had around 150 applicants for that. Now, granted, you know, there's a there's a fairly large portion of those that you really are, are, are just not qualified. But just to answer your question, we had around 150. Um, in fact, funny story, Bill Self called me um, about a uh, the, the Chaminade coach um, that he thought I should consider for the job. Well, he didn't realize that um, I was very astute at the fact that, um, you know, at that time, the Chaminade coach had a player on his team that was um, being recruited by Florida, Kansas, and ended up going to play for Billy Donovan. But um, so I knew there was a little bit of an angle there. And, um, and, 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 and honestly, in the high profile searches, in football searches and men's basketball coaching searches and even women's basketball coaching searches, I will change my voicemail to state that if you're calling about the um, men's basketball opening, uh, for equitable consideration, please go to www.whatever, make application there. Um, because at the end of the day, if you answer every phone call from an applicant or someone that's referring, you know, someone for the job, you'll never get the search accomplished. At least, I mean, that's my experience. And so, and, and then that, then all those emails, I'll have a copy paste email that I'll just send basically the same response to let them know they need to go back and, and very few times, it has to be somebody I really, really respect in the business that I'm going to get involved with a conversation prior to getting really serious about the final few candidates. Because at the end of the day, um, I mean, it's, 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 it, those searches are incredibly draining and exhausting um, because you're, you're, you're dealing with trying to hire the best coach in a timely manner. And then remember what I said, you've got all these, all these other individuals and factions that are pulling you in a variety of directions um, uh, in terms of who they think you should hire. And it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's a taxing thing on you during that, uh, during that three to four week period. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sounds like it, it would be. Well, let's move in a, a different direction for a second. And, and I was thinking, when you get the job as an AD, um, and right now you're at Albany State, who are the stakeholders within the school or alumni or former players or staff that you like to connect with uh, first or very quickly and build a relationship with them? And how important is it to connect with alumni and former players? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really important. Um, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting when I see um, if you're li if those of you that are listening, if you don't, I would encourage you to, you know, to go to D1 ticker and D2 ticker and you can subscribe to D1 does a seven day a week, we a daily um, a quick email blast and then D D2 does a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. 
And in that, uh, you're not going to read every article, but in that, it's kind of interesting that, that I see where these ADs, where they talk about, you know, their first 100 days. And I've been seeing a kind of a theme come out in the last year or so is they'll put a goal of, hey, in the first 50 days, I'm going to meet 100 boosters and alumni. You know, um, obviously, I came in in January on January 2nd, 2020 here at Albany State. And guess what happened in mid-March? You know, that's when it that's that's when the nation shut down with COVID. And so my deal has been a little has been a little bit different. But, you know, I, I think I think at 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 this, I think you have to man you manage it different at the division one level than you do at the division two level. Um there's very there, there is there's a lot of similarities, obviously, but when you talk about particularly at the power five level, I mean you're talking about powerful people. I mean you think about Oklahoma State, Mike Holder, and T, and, and and being in the room with T Boone Pickens, one of the wealthiest men in the world, he is setting, on in large part, the agenda for cap for multi-million dollar capital projects. These boosters are the ones that are paying these astronomical buyouts when they're ready to change a a men's basketball or a football coach and move in a dir- different direction. That's not coming from taxpayers. That's coming from those institutions, athletic foundations. And so if you go into, for example, if, you know, if, if, if instead of being at Albany State, I had gotten the AD job at the University of Georgia, the importance of beyond the president and his or her cabinet on campus, your focus is going to be on the folks that are writing significant donations in order to keep the enterprise of college athletics going because it's coming from private dollars. I mean, you see these these figures um, with these power five football and basketball coaches, their salaries from this from um, the institution budgets, you know, maybe several hundred thousand dollars, but man, they're making some of them four to eight million dollars a year. That's all coming primarily from a group, small group of individuals that are writing those checks. So you better make sure you cover your bases there. But from the Division II level, it, it is important that you find out who those consistent supporters are, and you usually connect with your uh, institution's foundation or development officer and, 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 and get that information unless you maybe have that house. And then just, you know, then you just reach out and have phone calls and conversations with them. And then ultimately, you know, hopefully that leads to where you can have some face-to-face connection, which has been a, well, I'm, I'm still behind the eight ball. You know, we're a year removed from COVID shutting down and, and I, I haven't had near, we haven't had a football season, you know, so I haven't had near the amount of face-to-face connection with our Ram Fund members that I would like to have, but it's critically, critically, critically important you're dealing with the president, his or her cabinet, in my case, her cabinet, and then those key external constituents um, to make, you know, to make sure you get off on it, start getting some good momentum. Yeah. And I think a lot of us learned some information there that most people didn't maybe realize that the boosters cut a lot of the major checks for buyouts and coaches' salaries. Um, It's not all taxpayer funded and, and things of that nature. Well, let's talk about Albany State and, and where you are now, and it's a, a HBCU and um, very historic school in the South, Albany, Georgia. Those of you f- familiar with uh, the South, 
what led you to Albany? I, I know you're a Georgia boy, Georgia boy at heart, but you knew you were out in Oklahoma, correct? And then the 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 thriving metropolis of Albany, Georgia. Yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting. I, I was I was um, I came back in the uh, summer of 2019, and right before that, um, from and I was I was at Northeastern State for nine years before I trans as the director of athletics, which is also an NCAA football playing um, Division II institution uh, there in the MIAA. And um, when I came back, uh, uh, we usually had two trips a year back to Georgia and uh, came back the 4th of July. And right before that, I had seen on um, D2 ticker, I think it was on a Friday afternoon maybe, that that Cherie Gordon had resigned as AD at Albany State University. And I looked at that and I was like, huh, that's interesting. And so that was about all that, that's about all that took place. But, you know, and I, and I kind of just thought through it. And, and then ultimately when I, when I came back here, I remember telling um, a couple of my family members, I was like, you know, the Albany State University jobs opened up and they were like, well, is that something you'd be interested in? And I was like, you know, I don't know. And, and so it was, it wasn't very long after that, that I was able to make a connection with the consultant who was from the search. It wasn't a search firm, but it was a consultant that had a prior relationship um, uh, with the president, uh, Marion Frederick here at Albany State. And um, was basically, we scheduled a call and I talked to him for an hour and um, and and and, I, and we bo- we were feeling both of us were feeling each other out. But I left that call with the um, with the thought process that you know this is I'm really intrigued by this, and so I kind of rolled my sleeves up and 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 did some due diligence, did some research because I think the older you get um, when it when it comes to job searches and things of that nature, the more selective you become, yeah. um, and you really because um, I was in a very good place there working um, at Northeastern State under Dr. Steve Turner. In fact, only by a week, we were the third longest AD president tandem in a 14-member league. We had been together for uh, for over eight years. And so um, that's a pretty unique situation. And so you want to be very careful if you make a decision to move elsewhere. But man, at the end of the day, Albany State is an incredible institution. As you mentioned, it's a historical black college in southwest Georgia. Um, we're the 10th largest HBCU in the nation. We're the largest HBCU in the state of Georgia. And um, there's a tremendous history there, not only athletically. You know, you think about you basketball guys, particularly the younger ones, need to go back and, 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 and research the Jones brothers. There were six Jones brothers that came and played at Albany State. Uh, Major Jones played for the Houston Rockets, who I'm becoming a close friends with. Caldwell Jones, who played for my team growing up with Dr. J and Bobby Jones, um, uh, Caldwell Jones. But there were six brothers that played at Albany State and four, all six went professionally, four wow. went to the NBA. I mean, how amazing is that? But um, just a tremendous history athletically and then of course Grover Stewart who's just signed that um, really long-term deal as a defensive tackle with um, the Indianapolis Colts. Um, He played football just a few years ago at Albany State so tremendous athletic but then you talk about institutionally you know um, 
the, the, the things that have been accomplished there through the civil rights movement to those of us that are in Georgia, remember the 1994 flood where the institution was basically underwater. Uh, and then in 98, a similar flood occurred. And so we have the tagline, you know, Albany State is known as the unthinkable. Um, <laughs> and, and man, and, and then, and then uh, back in 2017, the University System of Georgia, which Albany State is a part of, um, consol- was the first consolidation between a predominantly white institution, Darton State College, which is a junior college in Albany on the west side of town, and Albany State on the east side of town, and it became Albany State University. So, man, when you when you when you come to if you ever have a chance to come to Albany, Georgia, and tour the two campuses that we have, it is absolutely amazing. I mean, there's two student centers, there's two arenas, there's two pools. I mean, you start. I mean, and 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 um, you know, it's a, it's a community of seven thousand students with class facilities, outstanding faculty, a caring, focused um, administration. Um, uh, and, and, and it's and it's it's a it's just a very unique situation of very diverse faculty and staff um, and an ever growing diverse population of students. Um, but, um, you know, and, and and then, you know, we're, we're a part of, a, of one of two NCAA Division two HBCU conferences uh, with the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. So there's a lot to like about it. I will say this, that going into this, I knew this would be the most challenging job I've ever taken on um, for a variety of reasons from, you know, the, uh, the, the, the things that we've got to do in terms of addressing some of our uh, uh, financial challenges that uh, many Division twos are encountering right now uh, in the state of Georgia and nationally because we don't have those power five boosters that are subsidizing us. Um, but at the end of the day, I also have said from day one that um, I really feel like this is the job that not only may be the most challenging I've ever undertaken, I truly believe that I have an opportunity to make the biggest impact I've ever made in any other job. So um, that's going to take time. And um, but just thrilled Thrilled to be here. Great to be back in the state of Georgia. It's a hundred miles doorstep to doorstep um, to uh, the home of Dickey Farms there in Musella, Georgia, where my parents live. And um, so that's been a neat thing to be able to see mom and dad, uh, you know, my brother and sister-in-law and nephew and niece, nieces uh, on a much higher level than I was before. Well, that's good. That's good. I know people are glad to have, have you back in the state. And uh, well, you've really worked your way through. Um, more than any person I've ever had on the podcast from the high school level to the volunteer, uh, successful D three head coach, um, NAIA to where you are now. Um, so let's just talk for a second. How did, um, you know, COVID impact you guys in 2020? Were you able to have, have any sports so far this year? I mean, where are you guys looking at now recovering from all that? Well, one thing I didn't say earlier, but it kind of goes into this, that when, when you go into a new job, whether you're at a middle school or at, you know, a university, the quicker you learn two things, you learn the corporate culture, as I call it, you know, what, what, what makes the institution and the key people at the institution tick is very, very important. And then the other thing is the idea of, 
You know, when you're deal like I deal with the last two institutions, I've reported directly to the president. And I learned very quickly, it's, it's not how you say it, it's how they want to receive it. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a high school coach and you're trying to get a, you know, in your case, you're trying to get funding for a gun, you know, um, you know, they're a shooting machine, the gun or a Dr. Dish or the, the, all the various things to, to, to improve your, improve your game and you need funding for it. You know, you better know how they need to receive the information so they ultimately can approve that, that purchase. And so, so when you talk about COVID, the thing that I really, that was unprecedented. And so it probably took me several weeks, if not several months to really know how I needed to navigate that process at our institution because we shut down sports in the middle of March, as you remember, right at the mm-hmm. Division One, right before March Madness started. And ultimately, you know, I went back to Oklahoma. I was in Oklahoma from March to um, the end of May telecommuting, working every day from home because we weren't doing anything on campus. And then all of a sudden the decision was made um, to shut down sports at the Division Two level. Most didn't do anything in the fall, so there's no football no soccer, no cross country, all the above. And so then as you started moving to the winter sports, you started seeing a little bit of movement there nationally at the division, division two level, because obviously power five played football. You knew they were going to play basketball. And I'm proud to say that Albany state uh, in our um, 11 um, member institution conference, we were the first institution to relaunch our sports. And in December, in mid-December, from the 11th to the 15th, we played four basketball games with nearby Georgia Southwestern University in Americas. Mm-hmm. We played two at their place, two at our place. They weren't doubleheaders, but we were able to get four basketball games in. And then when we came back in January, we, we kind of took a pause and got through the first several weeks of school and we re- we started basketball again, and I'm proud to say um, when our volleyball team plays on Friday um, in Albany, that ten of our eleven sports will have competed either in NCAA uh, calendar games with basketball and our spring sports, or our fall sports like volleyball and football have played other either in scrimmages or exhibitions so 10 of our 11 sports will have played competition this spring and so i think we're seeing tremendous momentum now nationally with what's going on with covid and i am really really optimistic that at albany state um the fall is going to be a normal fall and we're going to have normal operations on campus and we're going to have face-to-face fan attendance um, football and volleyball and soccer and all the above. And so, um, but it, it, it's been, it, it, it's been, the, the COVID thing has been um, just unbelievable. Like we, we've had, we've had over three and a half thousand COVID tests in athletics alone since January. The beauty of it is, is we've had, I'm not going to give you the exact number, but we've had single digit positive result, positive tests. So we've been able to really keep things going and haven't had to shut things down. Um, and it's, uh, it's been really, really good for us. That's great. And I know the citizens of Albany will be happy to hopefully attend a fall football game and volleyball and get back in normal routines. Cause I, I, I'm assuming many of the alumni stay in 
all been there. If they graduate, you have a, a large contingency of alumni there to come and support you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then it's a big impact on the economy. I mean, you talk yep. about um, Albany State homecoming. I mean, you're talking about major, major revenues that happen. Um, and then, you know, I mean, you, you know, we have a huge alumni base in and around metropolitan Atlanta. Uh, Albany State plays um, Fort Valley State in the final regular season game every year in Columbus, Georgia, at what's known as the Fountain City Classic or the Blue Gold Super Bowl. And um, it's kind of a mini version of the Oklahoma, Texas um, State Fair game. They play the Red River game every year. There will be uh, that that stadium is where Auburn and Georgia played their first 50 football games to give you a little bit of the history of that stadium. There will be over 40,000 people on the grounds that day for the football game. So it's the largest attended annual D2 football game in the country. And um, I've yet to experience it. So I'm looking forward to that. But you talk about not only Albany, but Columbus is dramatically looking forward to um, the, uh, the, 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 the infusion of revenue from hotels and meals and all the above that's going to occur once, um, once we're able to get back to that uh, Fountain City Classic next November. Absolutely. Well, I'll definitely have to at uh, some point uh, make a trip down to Albany State and get a tour and, and visit in person with you since it's been a while since so we've caught up in person. But thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Any last words of advice to the young 20 to 25-year-old coach that's listening who wants to, uh, again, work their way up into college level? You've hit a lot, but any any last nuggets of wisdom for that coach? I think, you know, I think at the end of the day, I'm a firm believer that um, – you know, if you're if you're open to it, that you're going to gravitate to the career that is ultimately a passion. Um, and I know there's a lot of people out there that are that are working jobs that they're you know that you hear you hear about them that they're quote unquote miserable in what they're doing. But I think if you're really open, um, particularly the young coaches, where you've got so much more flexibility um, to, to to go out and take a part time gig or go be a volunteer somewhere. I mean. Don't hesitate to do that. It was those four years that I volunteered at Covenant College from 92 to 96 were four unbelievable years that um, ultimately that delayed gratification mm-hmm. has opened the many opportunities for me and has led me to fortunately be um, approaching 30 years in, um, in college athletics now. So follow your passion. Don't be afraid to step out and, um, you know, and, and, and do the things necessary to get your foot in the door. And then ultimately, you know, don't be discouraged. These things are very, these, these jobs, um, whether it's coaching or administration are very competitive and, um, you know, just uh, be who you are. And ultimately, um, you know, the right doors are open and um, people have an opportunity to, to go out there and do the, follow their passion and do the things that they want to do. Well, that's some great words to take us out. Again, Coach, thanks for coming on. I appreciate the impact you had on my life. I probably wouldn't be coaching if it wasn't for what you instilled with us back in the early 90s. So I appreciate all you've given back to. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for listening to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review and also leave a comment about what you enjoyed most about today's guest. I hope you'll join us on our next episode. 